episode of unwise girls i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your other host jane and we are here today to talk about your favorite podcast Un wait nectar of the pods is the one where we talk about your favorite podcast because we sometimes talk about this show on here that's right uh but this is your favorite <laughs> podcast all about the books of rick riordan uh today we're continuing the serpent shadow and that's it yeah the, the serpent shadow certainly is continuing so Jane, how about you just we we just get right into it? No bullshit. Give us those summaries. Chapter five: Sadie, a dance with death. Sadie prepares to go to the dance, but at the last moment, a spanner is thrown into the works. Walt feels like poo warmed through and can't go. Sadie fills us in on where their relationship is at and how it's basically in limbo, since they like each other, but Walt thinks it wouldn't be fair to pull Sadie into a relationship when he's about to die. Carter gets dragged along with the rest of the kids, and they arrive at Brooklyn Academy for the Gifted, aka Bag. Sadie pairs Carter off with one of her friends, Lacey, before being confronted by Drew, a textbook popular shithead kid. They have some back and forth barbs, and then Anubis rocks up and takes Sadie dancing. He says that this might be the last time they talk, as the other gods are side-eyeing Anubis for getting too close to Sadie. He tells her that she and Carter are on the right track, and that Apophis could be execrated if they track down his shadow. Additionally, he explains that the shadow, or Sheut, acts like an archive copy of a soul, from which the full thing can be rebuilt in case it gets incorrectly judged or something. He adds that the spirits of the dead are being broken down and that Sadie's mother is missing as a result of that. The expedition dump is interrupted by Shu, the air god, showing up and dragging Anubis away, apparently on the orders of Horus and Isis, which makes Sadie feel very betrayed. Anubis tries to tell her something about Walt, but then he vanishes. Her consolation prize is that Shu heeded a prayer from a quote-unquote Russian boy who wanted to speak to her, and brought him to the dance. Chapter 6, Sadie. Amos plays with action figures. The Russian guy is Leonid, who Sadie actually ran into while she and Carter were raiding Menchikov's match and thrown a fire. He warns her that there's an impending attack on the first gnome, so she tells Carter that she needs to go and takes Leonid to a chunk of limestone she stole out of the, out of the museum so that she can portal to Cairo. Because Sadie's portal technique is so slapdash, they end up portaling a hundred meters above the city, and Leonid uses his wind god powers to slow them down, showing that he's been taking up the path of divine magic by himself. Once inside the first gnome, they head to the first lector's palace, and in the slideshow of Egyptian history, Sadie notices someone stabbing a bull who looks a lot like Uncle Vinny. They make their way to Amos's war room, where he and Zia are coordinating a map covered in little magic figures. Leonid informs them that Jacoby and Quai are actually lieutenants of Apophis, at which point Jacqueline had a brain aneurysm and fell over because she said last week that if that was the plot she was going to lose it. <laughs> Leonid tells them that Apophis plans to rise in three days on the autumn equinox because it's always a fucking equinox and at the same time Jacoby's forces will attack the first gnome. Sadie explains her and Carter's plan as well as a way to test if it can work that the audience isn't made privy to, and Amos sends Zia with her to make sure the test goes well. Chapter 7. Carter. I get strangled by an old friend. Carter swings by Brooklyn House to pick up Walt before taking Freak the Griffin to Memphis to see Thoth. When they arrive, the base pro pyramid is under attack, so they muck in and help. During the fighting, Carter meets Face of Horror again, who shows him a vision of a black hole destroying the Duart, which Carter's mum is barely keeping herself out of. 
He also sees a dark vision of the future, and Apophis makes the same sales pitch that he made at the end of Throne of Fire, asking for Ra in exchange for mercy. Then, Thoth kills Face of Horror, and he, Carter, and Walter are able to regroup. Inside the safety of the pyramid, Thoth insists that they rest and eat before they get started on anything, which means Carter wakes up just in time to not hear the context of a conversation Walter and Thoth are having. Thoth tells Walton Carter that shadow execrations are well understood enough to actually have a name, which is that, and therefore it has a chance of working on Apophis. The best person to ask would be Setna, the magician who wrote all those scrolls that Apophis destroyed, and since he's dead that's going to involve a lot of legwork. His spirit is still hanging around, but at sunset Osiris slash Julius is scheduled to obliterate it as part of his big campaign to restore order to Mart. Walton Carter need to stop him. Thoth says that Walt doesn't have enough time left to help with this, and that he has to do something to have a chance of lasting long enough to be involved. Carter misses the quick time event to ask what that is, so we move on. <laughs> Chapter 8 <laughs> Carter, my sister, the flower pot. Carter, Walt, and Freak enter the duart. Walt tells Carter that he has until sunset the next day to live. Apparently, Anubis has been trying to help him come up with a solution, something to do with his cool grey laser powers. At this moment, Walt accidentally explodes the boat with those powers, leaving him and Carter dangling from Freak's legs. They make it back to Brooklyn House and head downstairs to explain their plan to Sadie's awful, malfunctioning Shabti who looks like a garden gnome. They touch base about what they learned on their missions, and Sadie deduces that Uncle Vinny must be set in his spirit, trying to get them to help in exchange for destroying Apophis. She tells Walt and Carter she's going to visit Bez and see if the Shadow Retrieval technique can resurrect him. Walt and Carter get ready to go to the Hall of Judgment, while Bast gets all the other kids at Brooklyn House ready to child soldier their way over to the first gnome and defend it. They also agree that Ra needs to go with them, so that he can be in Egypt to face Apophis at the moment of the Equinox. So, how were these chapters? I mean, maybe a little better than the last ones? There are some flashes of stuff that I like in here. I, I agree, I agree. Uh, it, it really shows... Mm, not, I, I was going to say it really shows what this book could be, but I feel like that's a little bit too aggressive, maybe. But I, I just think that, like, I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm at anymore, Jane. I feel like I'm lost at sea with this. I think that is kind of where I'm at with this, especially with the um uh, the, the whole bit about Sadie having, like, this shitty malfunctioning shabti. Yeah! But she keeps insisting on making them and not, like, admitting that she's fucking terrible at it. Like, that... That's a funny bit, but the, these books are so, like, packed to the gills and fast-paced and, like, stuff is always happening that there's no room for a joke like that to really breathe. The good thing about Percy Jackson books, usually, is that the first, like, four or five chapters, you get to, like, you gen- there'll be, like, hints of what the plot will be and stuff, but you generally mm-hmm. get a little bit of time to breathe first to get, like, settled into the, like the camp activities, where everyone's at, like, what's going on. Yeah, it's usually inciting incident, go to Camp Half-Blood, fuck around for a few chapters, then start the adventure. And that works pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and I I respect the decision to want <laughs> to, like, really jump in and show the stakes and be like, okay, these are big stakes, you know, death is on the line, etc., etc. Uh, but... Eh. I, I I want more of that slice of life stuff. Yeah, the, there's a moment later on in that chapter where Carter is talking about how, oh, he's never had much of a family, but he really feels like the kids at Brooklyn House are like the family he never had. And we've never really seen any of that. Yeah, and I think that could be a really good story. Yeah, 
Like, uh, it's, it's the trouble. Is like, I don't... Uh, I, we, this was what we were saying throughout the entirety of last episode. This didn't need to be a big adventure series. Yeah. Or if it was a big adventure series, it didn't need to be like it is. It could have been like a cuter. I don't know. It, it could have had more time for the characters. And now all the characters we have time for are like, oh, you know... My boyfriend, it's it's love triangle stuff now, and like love triangles aren't bad, I guess necessarily on their own. I've been known to enjoy a love triangle or two. Yeah, but this love triangle is annoying. <laughs> it's annoying, but it's okay because I've already figured out how it's going to be resolved. Yeah, so have I. I said it fucking <laughs> a book ago. <laughs> All right, but like every every piece that we get in these chapters, more or less hard confirms that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, by the end of this book, no doubt, like Walt is going to become Anubis's host, and it's, absolutely, like there's no way that's not what's going to happen. And I guess that's like a that's not a bad way for this to end. It's kind of weird, but like I don't know, maybe it'll be pretty good. But I don't think the build up is there. Like I don't think it's being. I don't. I kind of care about like I, I care about like oh oh Sadie is a character I like I generally like want things to end up like interesting for her, so I think like oh you know she gets the boy that's nice I hope I hope she does if it's a good story, but <sighs> I don't know I don't know the, 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 there's something so dis- oh okay actually to sidetrack a little bit and tangent mm-hmm. off um. One scene I really did like here was the dance, uh, specifically when Anubis showed up, because it did kind of like, I don't know, Anubis showing up in like full like, emo boy like gear, <laughs> and then like dancing with her a meter off the ground, and like, uh, like the spirits of old soldiers like dancing around them. I thought that was it's actually- It's very CW, but in a good way. Exactly. Like, I, I, I like how like on its bullshit it is. <laughs> Should we talk more about this dance? Let's talk more about the dance. I'm assuming that um, Lacey and Drew are the Heroes of Olympus characters. That's right. They there's a well, there's a cl- quick little mention about how Lacey was talking Sadie's ear off about some summer camp they went to, and Sa- uh, Sadie didn't really care. I, I do like that. Feels very in character that Lacey would like like tell Sadie she's a demigod, and Sadie would just like not notice. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't hate these characters here. Like they're it's a fun little glimpse into like the bigger life that um the Brooklyn House kids have. It's a glimpse into what is hopefully fingers crossed a better series. Hopefully. <laughs> uh you know. One one can really hope. And like I, I think the mental image of Carter dancing with a twelve year old is just very, very funny. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Drew is like she's like you know whatever we need to have a mean girl for a scene or whatever but yeah I, I don't know I thought it was kind of weird that like like in the Percy Jackson books at least Aphrodite cabin kind of existed to subvert the idea of like oh the like extremely vapid popular girl who is just a complete bitch uh-huh like Silena was more or less like a walking rebuttal to that yeah Drew, Drew Tanaka is like a, a very at least from what we've seen here, I don't remember too much of her like in the series itself. She is like a very typical like pretty bitchy girl, like that yeah. type of character. Yeah, I, I, like it's just a cameo, so it's possible she's just a bit more one-dimensional. But it just feels kind of weird to go back to playing the archetype straight 
for after sure we didn't do that for the first five books right it's like i imagine we'll get like more of a actual character when we get to the books she's on because typically um bully characters who go to camp half-blood go on to be pretty good yeah we like clarice is the thing yeah i'm not gonna write drew off just yet definitely not especially because she's uh one of our she's in the cabin of our uh, patron goddess this is true otherwise i don't know there's nothing too remarkable about the dance she was funny she was a funny little guy she is very strange he's like he's like the return of percy jackson environmentalism character uh yeah he is like he just goes off on it and like i don't like this is just like a a rick riordan special so i don't like hate it or anything but Uh he goes off on like a little like thing about air pollution and like methane gas and like that's why he like has to carry around an inhaler i thought that was like cute all I'm saying is that the way that the cameo sh- stuff should have gone is that Grover should have been chaperoning the dance and he and uh, Shu are just kind of sitting in the corner shooting the shit over that. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. <laughs> I also just really like the mental image of like Shu literally manifesting between the two of them, Anubis and Satan, like <laughs> pushing them away. It feels very like leave room for Jesus. <laughs> God. Speak, speaking of Sadie um, not leaving room in her life for Jesus, we learn about uh, many some of her crimes during these chapters. Uh-huh. Uh, she stole a, a like priceless Egyptian relic from a museum. Uh-huh. Replaced it with a fake and then like made one of her students submit it as an art project so that she could have something she could use as a portal like close that, to hand. That's hilarious. I like I love that. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of like oh this is exactly what Sadie would do. Like this mm-hmm. is um like this it it's the like blatant disregard for like I guess like great like the gravity the of certain like historical objects or spaces she she does the same thing later on like a really funny sequence when she's going through that like the first gnome and carter mm-hmm. is like on her back like <laughs> try like trying to get her to talk about like how cool the spaces are and she's like yeah it was the chamber of birds because it was full of birds let's move on yeah one of the one of the few bright spots where the framing device comes around to being funny is um when she's explaining that and saying that Carter's getting on her ass about it, and there's a little bit that's in brackets, it's like, Carter, why are you banging your head on the table? It's really good. <laughs> like, there are definitely there are definitely spots where I'm like, okay, yeah, this was a good decision. Um, at least in, in, like, I can see why you would think this would be a good decision for the framing device. It's a bad decision that's sometimes used well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the portal stuff, uh-huh. I feel like this is probably the best way you can do a retcon. Right. Because previously the rule was you can do portal stuff at, like, a specific time or, like, during an auspicious moment in the demon days or not at all. Uh-huh. And the the new rule is uh, you can pretty much roll the dice on opening a portal whenever, but you might get something fucking horrible. Yeah, that's kind of been true since Throne of Fire, but, like, mm-hmm. actually, I didn't think about this through any of Throne of Fire, but, like... It, they pr- are pretty much just opening portals whenever at that point. That's true. In which case, I guess this is retconning in like an actual consequence for that, which I appreciate. Definitely, like it feels it one. It's like consistent. It makes sense, uh, and it, like again, it's like oh, of course Sadie wouldn't care about like memorizing dates. She would just say shit until it works. 
uh, or in this case, uh, immediately bites her in the ass. Uh huh. You know, the more I think about this, the more I think I just like Sadie. I do like Sadie. <laughs> she's just like one of the top. Like she's like a primo Rick Riordan character. Absolutely. Carter too. Like Carter is getting less of like he's less interesting as we go on. I feel like I have. I'm approaching the point of not caring about Carter anymore. I think that's fair. It doesn't help that a, a persistent problem is that his character development is being told to us rather than shown to us. Uh-huh. Yeah. It just feels like, I don't know, Rick wasn't sure where to go with him. Like, he mm-hmm. okay, that's not true. He know, he knew where to go with him, but he decided on, like, the least interesting character arc. That's, you know what kind of weirded me out in um, these th- pages with regards to Carter? A big deal was made of it in um, Red Pyramid when Carter, like, starts dressing more casually. Yeah. Like, that's supposed to be, like, a big moment for him because he's moving past his dad's expectations for him. Uh-huh. But, um, like, apparently one of his problems when he goes to the dance is that he's dressed like a teacher. And this isn't really commented on at all. Right? I just find it kind of weird. It feels to me like maybe this is, like, oh, Carter has been trying to dress more casually, be, like, a more quote-unquote normal kid but also he doesn't like i think it's like a really common thing for like kid the kid doesn't know how to dress for dances like he's still learning how to be like a he's still learning how to be like the casual sort of like Mm -hmm. regular kid so i think that's a fun little callback to how he was in the red pyramid in a way i guess i'm just struggling to like give it the credit for being subtle characterization (laughs) given the other problems with carter's character that we've talked about that's fair but yeah, I suppose you could give it the benefit of the doubt and say that that's what's going on. That's a, a valid reading of it. I wouldn't say it's like taking Carter's character back either, like because it doesn't seem like that's become a permanent mode for him. It's mostly just in this dance. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of a weird moment. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, to to go from that to something positive. Yeah. Uh, I think we got the first flash of Apophis being an interesting villain. Okay. In these chapters, uh, which is. When he is, like, giving Carter another fucking mid-fight vision, which, stop that, stop it, stop doing that. But no, um, during this vision where Apophis, like, basically just repeats his sales pitch from the end of Throne of Fire, Mm -hmm. he caps it off with something that I actually thought was really interesting, which was, um, give me Ra and I will spare you and give your family a paradise to live on. Have the gods promised you anything as good as that? Mm. And I was not not to talk about another podcast on our podcast, but it really reminded me of um, a, a more civilized age episode from a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah, where uh, one of the hosts, uh, Austin, absolutely loses his fucking mind because. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a Clone Wars podcast, and it's about how Obi Wan fails to make any kind of like concrete promises to Anakin about things that could make his life better. And the reason he falls to the dark side is because the dark side is offering him something, as opposed to the Jedi who are offering him nothing. Right, like, Anakin Skywalker is a character who cares about material things, and, mm-hmm. like, this is this is not something he's being offered by the Jedi. I see what you mean, like, this is, this is Apophis actually offering Carter, like, <laughs> things beyond what Horus is offering, which is, like, we can rule the world together. Horace's plan is we can rule the world together, but also if we do it, we're probably going to fuck up and blow everything up. Uh-huh. 
and like i am very transparently just using you to get gain power for myself exactly so like i i hope that this is something that's actually developed because it could make apophis kind of interesting it could it could um i i there was a point in my reading where i mean you pretty much identified it during the summary I decided that <laughs> I decided, and I wrote this down in my notes, that I just would stop caring uh, about the antagonists in this book because I, I realized that it just is not going to be interesting at all. Yeah, um, Jack Jacoby and Kwai being lieutenants of Apophis, which for some reason is treated like a twist. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to, like, that was very obviously what was happening. Yeah, definitely. I, but in a way giving up on this book made me more receptive to it uh because or, or giving up on this book's antagonist I, I haven't given up on the book the serpent's shadow yet but this aspect of it i've get i've completely given up on uh, That's right. and so i i've i've become receptive to it and i realized that the image of two people being used as like mouthpieces for an entire council of evil other worldly gods and like various voices coming through them i think that's so fucking cool okay yeah that is a cool idea that's um that's something that leonid tells um uh, sadie amos and zia about like he saw them doing that and that's why he's defecting basically yeah it's like oh these it kind of like signals that oh these two are pretty much purely just like meat puppets for greater (laughs) forces and that's kind of been that's kind of been the move for the antagonists in these books yeah i mean that's just what menshikov was that's what menshikov was and that's what amos was yeah at least menshikov not menshikov amos was a meat puppet for a fun dude oh definitely apophis apophis just i don't I I don't know. Maybe there will be some big thing here that makes me say, "Okay, Apophis is kind of cool now," but I've I just don't have a lot of like I don't have a lot of care left in me, I guess, for this. I think the the only move that this book could make now that could make me really invest in the antagonists again is to go in a completely unexpected direction and you know, you know the last episode of um uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I do. There's that bit where like greed tries to jump in and like basically take the role of big villain from father. Oh yeah. Uh, if Set does that and is successful and becomes the big villain, I would be on board again. I would agree with that. Like Set <laughs> has been underused here. Where is Set? Set and bring Set back. He's just on the boat hanging out with Apophis. With uh, not Apophis. He's just on the boat hanging out with Ra, I guess. <sighs> Speaking of like. They're going to try and bring Baz back using his, his Shea, right? Yes, that's absolutely what's happening. So, I don't know, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? Do you, I mean, obviously, it's been set up since, like, last book that they're going to try and bring Baz back. But, like, I don't know, does this feel like, okay, this is alright, or does it feel kind of cheap? How, how are you feeling about it? It does feel a little bit cheap, and if I'm being honest, it uh, got me thinking that I really hope that Walt dies. Uh-huh. Just so that we have, like, a permanent death with some consequence in this series. Yeah. Oh, there's the the, the, the great sadness of the Dallas Magicians, Jane. Yep, those guys we met for five minutes. And they do seem to keep coming up as being like, oh, these are the people that I failed, who I didn't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> if we got, like, maybe, like, a few, at least, like, a few chapters, like, hanging out and partying with them, maybe I would, like, care more. 
or if they'd been like established in a previous book. Uh huh. We we barely knew that there were other gnomes in the last few books. Is the thing. Yeah, we pretty much only see Brooklyn House in the first gnome and like one place in Russia. Yeah, that's the thing. It's one of those things where it's just like the this this finale has been built on a pretty shaky foundation, and that's really starting to show. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know we were, I was kind of ragging on Carter before, yeah. but there, there was a moment that I really liked from him, which was uh, when Walt like finally comes out and says, like, I'm going to die tomorrow. Uh, I really liked that Carter's response was just like, fuck that, I refuse. Uh-huh. Like, I know that's, that's just an energy that I really like and I wish was kind of sustained before we get into the obvious foreshadowing for like, oh, he's just going to become Anubis' host. <laughs> Yeah, Carter Carter here is sort of having that treatment of, like, he wants to... He doesn't want to let anyone... Like, this is where the, the Dallas Magicians came up again. He feels like mm-hmm. he's let everyone down as a leader and as a general. And he feels, like, trapped between a rock and a hard place pretty much 24-7. It's interesting that he, like, very much does not feel like... He feels like it's all on him. Mm-hmm. But he does give, like, some acknowledgement to the fact that, like... Walt is kind of like his second in command in a way. Uh, I I do like this energy. You're you're like I think this is this is a good a good like a good moment. I appreciate. I just always appreciate when the hero is like this impossible thing. I'm gonna blow right through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just I really like those moments where like a character has been getting pushed and prodded and pushed and prodded repeatedly for a while, and they finally just like reach the end of their tether and say fuck that. Definitely. Uh, Uncle Vinny is uh, Setne. That's not like a... I don't know. I guess I wasn't actually expecting that. I thought maybe he'd be King Tut or something. Yeah, uh, our, our official podcast prediction was that he'd be Anubis. Was that it? No, not, no, sorry, not Anubis. Tutankhamun. Don't know why the fuck I said Anubis. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really strange if he was Anubis. Yeah, uh... Yeah, that was our... We, we, we promised you, the listeners, and uh, we failed you. So, I guess that means if you had any bets on that, uh, sorry... But, uh, you know... Uh, also, bet on something else. There are, there are plenty of things to gamble on. There are so many things you can gamble on. There are horses, there's, like, wrestling matches. You can go to Las Vegas and choose between the casino that the Moon Dude runs, uh, or the Lotus Hotel and Casino. Apparently all the pantheons just have outposts in Las Vegas. That's so funny. I really hope there's, like, a Norse <laughs> god who lives in Vegas, too. <laughs> that would rule. But yeah, he's just he's he's Setne, and that's okay. That's fine, actually. I don't want. I don't know. I think that may maybe too many characters if he was someone else. But, yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't know. It's like oh, you can tell he's evil because he's like. I thought it was really funny. Like you go through and they're seeing like all the past. The it's the Hall of Memories and stuff like that, or whatever it's, it's called. It's the big slideshow that they keep playing in the front room. Exactly. Um, and there's just, like, one of, like, Setne doing, like, an animal sacrifice, and you can tell he's evil because he smiles when he does it. Which, I don't know, I feel like that was pretty common back then. Uh-huh. Can't judge him by that. Yeah, but he smiles when he does it, Jane. <laughs> I actually, I want to know more about this, like, war room stuff. Uh, my, my genuinely held deep down belief is that this is not a war room. Amos and Zia were just playing, like, Warhammer or something and got interrupted. <laughs> Like oh fuck I like I the world is ending in like three days I've never been able to get into Warhammer before Zia <laughs> Zia will you learn with me and they were just been like sitting there 
Uh, like, if you could enchant your little Warhammer miniatures so that they would actually, like, fire at each other and stuff, wouldn't you? I would. Uh, I do not play <laughs> Warhammer, but I would if that happened, probably. <laughs> it's like the charm of fucking battle chests or whatever from Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Like, that's that's kind of an interesting idea because you get to see the pieces fucking destroy each other. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, it's probably quite expensive to play because you need to buy a new set every time. True. I wonder if they... Never mind, I don't care about Harry Potter theorizing. Uh, yeah, fair enough. But I do, like... I'm, I'm just kind of taken in by the idea of, like, this, like, strategist sitting at a table, like, watching over this map of the world and, like, moving statues that represent, like, magician armies from one place to another. Like, I'm just like, how does that work? I want to, like, go in depth on that. You know what I mean? It'd be really funny if it just, like, involuntarily teleports them to wherever he puts the statue. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> I think that'd be so funny. If he accidentally knocks one into the ocean, you are fucked. God. God. You really have to trust your your chief lector. And nobody does. <laughs> Only, like, Vancouver and fucking Brazil. Like, that's all they got. Yeah. Poor Amos. Poor Amos. He's like, something's wrong with him apparently, and we still don't know what that is, but... Every character has some kind of medical condition that they're hiding, and the audience doesn't get to find out about. By the way, this is like officially sicklet now, right? Oh, yeah, no, I think it's hit that point. <laughs> like, like the first chapter, like, for all the fun I had with this dance, which was a decent amount, like... Sadie talking to Walt and him just being like, "I'm dying, Sadie. You can't, you can't be with me. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sickly. I'm, I like. It's just like I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn on it because on the one hand, um, it is like at least some development of their relationship to learn that like, okay, it's stuck in this kind of limbo. That's yes. some movement from where it was last book." Yes. On the other hand, this is literally like the opposite of what I was saying last week, where it's not developed enough to be exploitative. Now it's developed enough to move into that space. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're if you're terminally ill, all you can hope for is a somebody who isn't to to you know be be motivated by you. All you can hope for is the god of death to possess you, your earthly body. That's right. And there's only one of those, so you may be shit out of luck. Uh, they go and see Thoth. Thoth is like, Thoth is actually kind of badass here. He's like destroying demons that are like climbing up his big shitty pyramid. They're they're on the base pro pyramid. Uh, uh-huh. I actually, I need to send you an artist rendition of exactly what is happening in that scene. Okay. <laughs> is this Evangelion? Yes. <laughs> what is this from? The episode where like uh, Shinji loses it and attacks uh, Nerve headquarters in the Ava. Oh hell yeah. I assume that this is what it looked like. One must assume so. Uh, yeah, Thoth is like he's he's using all the hieroglyphs. He's fucking transforming people. He's using his magic, uh, and then it's so funny because like Walt and Carter are like, "Oh God, it's an emergency. We have to like Walt. Even though you're dying, we have to stop. We have to like help him." And then they fucking like they help him destroy all the demons. And then Thoth is like, why did you do that? I was like, I've been doing this for days. I could have easily handled this. It's like, oh, Walt is just, like, progressing his death for no fucking reason. This is literally, like, happening to me four times a day. It was fine. God. It's so, like, grimly funny, I guess. (laughs) And I'm not sure that it's entirely grimly funny on purpose. No. 
There was a specific line that jumped out to me uh, uh-huh. during the like Walton Carter scene, which was like Carter saying, "I didn't want to hear another impossible deadline." Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You know what, Carter? So the fuck do I? <laughs> it's uh, it's simultaneously <laughs> like, damn, I can relate to that. So it's drawing me in as a reader. Uh, <laughs> mostly though, I'm just like, okay, the Equinox got it this is the fucking 10th book in a row that we're reading from you that has this exact <laughs> same setup rick riordan like I, I i share the character's frustration and that's good but my frustration is directed at the author which is bad that's right the problem with these chapters are very like insubstantial i would say it's so weird like, because they're so long and not a lot happens it's so weird because i feel like i liked these more than the first four chapters but I also, like, incredibly feel like, just like, you're right, nothing happened. Even though a lot of stuff did happen, <laughs> I don't, none of it, maybe I just, like, need to get a fresh perspective on this book or something, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm going in too cynically. I mean, I I was wondering, just because I've, I've been dealing with some bullshit today. <laughs> Uh-huh. I accidentally turbo fucked an entire website and had to like learn WordPress to fix it. So I was wondering how much that level of like exhaustion and uh just kind of general anger was affecting my impression of these chapters. Yeah. I mean that's the thing. I liked these. I liked these more than the last ones. I don't know if I <sighs> I just don't feel like I have a good... I don't know, maybe I'm being too, like, cynical about my own, like, perspective. I feel like I don't have a good, like, lens for the series anymore because I was so disappointed by it with these first two books. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I... So I, I want to I wanna make a declaration to you, the listener, that we're going to try and be normal human beings and not sad sacks about it. <laughs> it's not that big a deal, ultimately. It's just a book. This This is true. This is true. I'll stop yelling at Rick about it uh-huh. and instead calmly uh, write down my complaints and send them to him with like letters I cut out of magazines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We're morphing into a type of podcast. Uh-oh. What type of podcasts? I don't know. Podcast that is like, are you enjoying this, listeners? Is this fun? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Because there are there is stuff that's good in these chapters. Okay, let's talk I about think, it. I think. Oh, God, I was about to segue that into oh. saying something negative. Oh, never mind. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> what I was gonna say is, um, I one of the things I said about Throne of Fire was that it kind of felt like stream of consciousness, Rick Ryden on autopilot. Uh huh. And all the stuff that we liked is just kind of like, it's that good Rick Ryden spice being sprinkled on something kind of crap. Uh huh. And I feel like that's what the stuff we liked in these chapters was as well. Yeah. It's like that 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 good that good charm that Rick Ryden can bring to a thing, but without solid plotting or characterization supporting it. It's not even that bad. Maybe I'm just like It's not the worst book I've ever read. It's really not. It's not even like I, I feel like I could pick out this book out of like a, a shelf of like because it's still like, oh, there are like exciting things happening, there are cool characters, there's like fun there's fun magic happening. This is a, a, a this is by all accounts like a pretty fun book. It's just like, damn, this is not my like this is not where I'm it really makes me wonder, like, what was the what was the like production like? This is what I want to know. Yeah, like it, it's adequate, but we know that Rick can do so much better than adequate. 
which is why it's so frustrating to read yeah that's that's pretty much it do we do do we want to talk about how uh the the, well this is something that kind of gets pointed out in the text but i was thinking about even before it gets pointed out um carter and sadie end up getting split up a lot uh and i think Mm -hmm. i think this happened like mostly it started in throne of fire yeah. But like I, I don't know what do you think of this like i guess like strat like they they keep getting split up and s- like sent off on these different adventures and then sort of like reunite like what do you think the structure does for the book uh i think it's to the book's detriment because i think it is one of those things that like highlights to us how much more we like sadie as a character yeah <laughs> when she gets to like strike out on her own and do her own thing for a few chapters I mean, the fact is that I didn't take any notes for Carter's chapters this time. <laughs> I just like, okay, actually, I did take one note for uh, chapter eight. It's the very end has a special little tease just for us. Um, it did? It did. You may not have noticed it through your fugue state of anger and misery. <laughs> but carter says when they're like oh yeah we're like oh what are we gonna do we there's a boat we need to find a boat and carter says that he's gonna summon an old friend i think doughboy is coming back uh i don't think doughboy's coming back what i think this is carter summoning the um the boat with the axe head dude oh from red pyramid oh <laughs> that guy's cool too i guess that guy's cool too i think we just have to accept that I'm almost tempted to look at Doughboy's wiki page. I can do it for you, just in case. <laughs> I mean, surely it would be equally spoilers for both of us. Neither of us remember much about how this book goes. I feel like we should we should leave it as a surprise. Like, I want to know. Apart from anything else, I feel like this book has been such a flat line for us that the excitement of, like, Doughboy coming back as a surprise will be... But then I guess we don't want to get our hopes up. I, th- I think we should get our hopes up. All right. I think we should wait for the surprise if it's because this is this is the this is part of that Rick Riordan spice. These chapters make and this is, I think, something that happens like almost every time there are bad chapters in these books. Mm -hmm. There's still enough in there that make me think, oh, the next chapters are going to be better than this. And I think it's the same with these chapters. Yeah, I mean, I guess because these are definitely better than the last set. So maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, this book will kind of pick up some momentum as it goes. Kind of like how uh, Red Pyramid started out pretty um, terrible overall and kind of found its footing by the end. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Let's 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 take a vow, Jane. We're not going to be negative Nancys. We're not going to be downtrodden Debbies. We're not going to be uh, uh, curmudgeonly Karens. We're not going to be... Uh, we're not going to be... Are we spelling the... Um curmudgeonly with a k or the karen with a c uh karen with a c all right uh um we're not gonna be um you have to come up with at least one i'm i'm think i'm trying we're not we're not gonna be sad sack pessimistic patties which pessimistic patties is really good (laughs) uh sad sack sallies i feel like sadie is a sad sack that's that's probably true We're, we're positive now we're positive on this book we're coming from a positive perspective, at least. We're, we're, I feel like we're not positive on the book. We're, we are going to commit trying to give it to the benefit of the doubt. That's right. That's right. And to that end, Doughboy is going to show up next chapter. 
Doughboy is going to show up and is going to be epic. That's right. That's right. Why have we mythologized Doughboy in our heads like this? Because it's so weird and so fucked up that he just gets ditched in Arizona. And it's never addressed again. It's like... He was a person. He he was like their slave. It's like if they... And they kicked him into the back of a coat and left him. I was going to say it's like if they ditched Shabti Zia, but I guess they did. Shabti Zia died, and I'm kind of... I'm kind of wondering if we're ever going to get to the point where Carter grapples with the fact that his girlfriend died. Yeah, no. And a clone of her is running around, but like, that was a person who died. Yeah, Shabti Zia was just a different person than than the Zia we know. (laughs) And Carter, like, ostensibly has been dealing with his grief and losing her by going on this wild goose chase to like oh there's there's a different z out there we're gonna i'm gonna find her and reignite the relationship he's just fucking living on fumes right now this is the real conflict with carter he's like he's just like in a (laughs) a haze of trauma and grief and he can't process it properly uh and it's gonna get even worse um when because i mean sadie gets teamed up with zia at the end of chapter six and I'm like, come on, this is your chance. <laughs> uh-huh. Forget the love triangle. <laughs> Go for it. Do it. <laughs> it'd be really funny. I feel like it'd be more appropriate. I feel like it would be more appropriate than fucking Sadie and uh, Anubis. Sadie and Anubis slash Walt and Carter getting together with the clone of a per- of his dead girlfriend. God. God, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Jane. <laughs> we're having we're having fun here today. We're having fun kicking around the ashes of this book. Uh Oh. What's there's up? another thing that I liked that I wanted to just oh, highlight. Yeah. Please. Which is that I I'm not sure how intentional it is, but like at the very least you could lift this and use it as a device in something else. Oh, for sure. But I like the idea that um Osiris um, is has this like shitty top-down solution to quote-unquote restoring order to Maat. Yeah, it's actually going to make everything worse by killing the one dude that they need to stop Apophis. Yeah, it's interesting because usually, I don't know, like Julius as a character, he is kind of like he has these big solutions that are kind of like, whoa, man, that's a lot. I'm gonna murder suicide my wife and leave my uh, children parentless so that they can join a cult and save the world. <laughs> it's like that's a very like ungenerous reading of what he did for sure, but it is kind of what happened. Like, I it's he's like a kind of a fucked up guy, and so I like to like I see that he is like oh he is just like oh I'm gonna like fucking because okay. I, I, I've been trying not to harp on this or, like, bring it up, but Julius seems like kind of an asshole. Just, yeah. like, from every flashback we get of him with Carter, he's always, like, in life, you only get what you get, and you need to... You need to... Fair is fake. You need to take it for yourself. You only get what you deserve. It's, mm-hmm. like, this Elvis just seems... Elvis Presley rules. What was it? Elvis Presley rules. <laughs> but Elvis Presley rules. <laughs> and, like... So he ends up feeling like this, like, weird, like, I don't know, individualist, like, capitalist brain guy. (laughs) And the fact that he would then go and become Osiris, God of the Dead, and decide that he needed to do, like, punitive justice uh, beyond just, like, the crocodile that eats your soul 
is so, like, it feels appropriate, to be honest. Yeah, I really hope that's something that's, like, followed up on. At the very least, and this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, maybe the next chapter- chapters will be... At the very least, and I think this is one of those things where it's like, oh, maybe the next chapters will be bad. Will be. Come on, take three. At the very. Jerk. Jacqueline, you okay? Oh, God, I'm dying. No. I tried to drink water, but I was laughing and the water spilled out of my mouth. It's all over me now. (laughs) And that's one of those things that makes me think that maybe the next chapter will be a lot better. Because, like, if we're going to get more stuff with, like, oh, the relationship between Julius and his kids, I think that's something I am excited to see. Yeah, because that was, um, that was one of the things that uh, I think you highlighted in Throne of Fire towards the end was, um, like, the increasing distance between, um... Like, especially Julius and his kids. Uh-huh. And I feel like if he's, like, an uncooperative asshole in here, that'll be a really good way to follow up on that thread that was introduced. Yeah, any kind of conflict here, I'd really appreciate. Uh, my, my, <laughs> God, I'm going to go to dinner and people are going to think they've, I've pissed myself or something. It's <laughs> all over my lap. Look them in the eye and tell them that's what happened. That'll shut them up. <laughs> I did it and I liked it. <laughs> Oh God! You you are simply trying to get into the headspace of this podcast by imitating your favorite character, Chiron, who famously has no bladder control. God, oh God! I'm so excited for Heroes of Olympus. Same. Like, I just even if it's not very good, <laughs> um, I just want to be back with like I know a lot of those characters are good. And I, I, I know and like a lot of those characters, yeah. Which is like, I like like three characters in the Kane Chronicles, and I like reading their adventures. Who, who are the three characters? The only one I can think of off the top of my head is Sadie and Bast. I was going to say Sadie, Bast, and like, I don't know. I, 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 Carter is like on the edge, but I still do like him. Bez, maybe? Doughboy. Doughboy. It's Doughboy. It's always Doughboy time <laughs> here. <laughs> Shout outs to our listeners, the the little doe beings especially. Especially our little doe being patrons. That's right. They're small. They do our bidding. They're made out <laughs> of various things, such as flower pots and cheese and like clay and stuff. Anyway, Jane, you have any last words before we wrap it up? Nope. I had a train of thought and I lost it. It's possible that I'll remember it and interrupt you while you're doing the outro. Okay. If you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out at twitter.com slash unwisegirls. There we've got links to our Discord server, our Patreon, our own personal Twitters. If you want to support us, you can go uh, leave five stars on wherever you listen, leave a review, or you can support us monetarily. Uh, that's uh, by going to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for $1 a month, you get the role of Whittle Doe being on our Discord server. And uh, a thank you uh, once, but our, our appreciation always. Uh, for five for three dollars a month, you get the uh, big ba energy roll, which uh, will give you access to all of our bonus content. Uh, yeah, last week um, we tried to do a structured episode, uh, and it went completely off the rails, and we just ended up digging into a bunch of really cursed shit. So, if you want to hear us talking about um, the royal uh, libel slash news in the National Enquirer, uh, a bustle article and um lovely people a furry christian webcomic about a social credit system 
then then give that a listen. Uh, and for five dollars a month, you get the Bast Head Pat Pass roll. Uh, use it wisely. You might want to give it a miss this week, to be honest, because you have to be on the boat with Ra, and he seems kind of difficult to be around. That's the thing. Is like the the. <laughs> I don't know. You should have used it already, probably. Like, the time... You should have probably used it between books, honestly. Yeah, it's been six months. What have you been doing? Uh, Also, what this grants you is all the bonus content. And a thank you at the end of every... Jacqueline will beatbox for you. Why so serious? God fucking damn it. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, um, for tolerating this kind of thing, uh, we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Some men just want to watch Camp Half-Blood burn. Bye. I'm not stopping recording until you say it. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) 